I'm Nate Tabak, the Border and North America Correspondent for Freight Waves. I'm here with Gary Newbury to talk about e-commerce disruption and the last mile in Canada. Gary is a retail Gary is a retail supply chain and digital fulfillment strategist. He spent the last 30 years transforming supply chains and distribution networks in the UK and most recently here in Canada as an executive for Gordon Food Service. Gary, good to be with you. Good, good to be here, Nate. So, Gary, back in back in March, when Canada locked down for COVID nineteen, I remember one of the first things I tried to do was uh, order groceries online, and I think I did this with Loblaws, which is one of the I think the largest uh, sort of grocery uh, you know food service company in Canada, and I couldn't get a, a delivery window that would you know it's like two or three weeks out, and so I went in and lined up with everyone else, and you know um, at the beginning of the pandemic. So what was going on here that I wasn't able to to like get groceries delivered at a time that I think everyone really needed that? There was um, a, a, a blanket, uh, I wouldn't say, reluctance to invest in formal online services across the retailing industry. There were a few, obviously, exceptions, but generally speaking, the grocers were quite uh, I would say backwards in terms of advancing their online strategies and their fulfillment strategies alongside that. So it spent quite a lot of time in things like data science and thinking about how they're going to acquire their customers, but they failed to spot that actually until you deliver the stuff to customers, you haven't got actually a proposition that consumers want to want want to receive. There's a big appetite in, in Canada across, uh, you know, we've got 38 million people here. And they want online services and they're desperate for it. And the lockdown itself uh, showed how desperate they were with many people who never used online before actually going on and taking that chance, making it happen. And many of them were quite disappointed. You were not an exception. You were not an isolated case. Many people, especially the elderly people who couldn't get to the stores because of the risk to their, you know, risk to their health, etc., or their perceived risk to their health, uh, were, were getting were getting two or three weeks um, uh, delivery windows, and then they were getting cancelled on the day, and then being told to rebook. What what was happening on 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 the ground was the retailers in general were underprepared. They didn't understand, one, what they needed to do and how to scale their proposition when the sheer volume of demand hit them. And so it was really, the only way I can describe it was a mad scramble. And and I think that it it sounds like what you're saying is that this was not just a a simple case of a a simple inability to maybe meet an, an unprecedented demand, is that there were, there were, it seems, some long-standing deficiencies in in retail in terms of just the kind of this basic, uh, you know, sort of e-commerce and you know fulfilling, uh, you know, orders and that sort of thing. What what was going on, you know, on here in sort of the years leading up to this that really the this this wasn't in place to really kind of um, properly address uh, the needs of uh, Canadian consumers. Yeah, very much so. I, m- I remember a comment made by uh, the leader of uh, uh, Laws, uh many, was it 2017? He was launching at this scale in Western, was thinking about launching 100 
hundred click and collect services across his fleet of I think it's seventeen hundred grocery stores, a combination of corporate and, and franchise stores. And he was puzzling the question, I don't think our, our consumers actually want this, but we give it a try. And and my comment to that was they don't know what they're missing. As soon as they get online service and avoid typically your store, as well as many other stores, they will they will really buy into it. And a pandemic or the lockdown actually forced many, many people, as, as I said earlier, had no, no real sort of appetite for going online. They went online. They wanted stuff. And we found that uh, stock was a problem. And then the ability for the retailers to scale their proposition quickly, efficiently, and to actually meet the expectation. Because if we think about, for those people like me who buy frequently on Amazon, our education through Amazon has been, I order something on Prime, I get it on my doorstep, three o'clock the next day. Excuse me. And uh, that is the expectation for something coming across from America, from across Canada, wherever they, wherever they, uh, they, they stock that, that uh, inventory. I should be able to place an online order for click and collect and drive to my store and pick it up. That was completely not the case. What, a, what needs to be in place for, um, say, a big retailer, big grocer to be able to, to implement it? Like, what are, what are kind of the nuts and bolts of this? Yeah, they, they, uh, I often struggle with people who have a strong propensity to kind of heavily invested in technology to think it's all about technology. Actually, it's pretty much all about process of which a technology is an element of that. So they need to really work out how does e-commerce work into that overall proposition. They also need to think about what of our consumers and their preferences, what kind of percentage do we think they're going to, you know, how many consumers are going to buy from us online versus uh, going to our shops as, as, a, as a measure of what our capacity needs to be in, in the future and, and start working on how, how, how are we going to do that? How are we going to do that scale? How are we going to make it profitable? Is this something we actually want to do? Because the, the, retail's dirty little secret is that if you get e-commerce wrong, you can actually lose a lot of money very fast. Um, so they need to embrace the digital age, embrace the online um, services that their customers are actually or consumers are actually screaming for. Once they get an appetite for it, they, they don't want to turn back and start looking at how to integrate stores and e-commerce into a, a blended whole. And this is sometimes where retailers, because they heavily tend to be heavily siloed, have tended to set up, you know, the merchandising stores kind of route to market. Then they've got digital over here, uh, and it's normally man- sort of, uh, staffed by lots of bright young things who are doing social media and all that kind of stuff and digital advertising and, and whatever. Uh, and the missing piece is the actual fulfillment. Who's, who with a technical background in, in social media, uh, who on the store side, who's been used to moving great big you know, truckloads of pallets going into DCs, into stores being poured out onto shelves, who actually understands how to pick singles at scale and get those distributed to residential addresses. That's a f- completely and fundamental different skill set. 
And so the, then we have the, um, there's the, the, tr the transportation side of this equation is that you need, you need a vehicle to, to, to actually deliver these goods um, to people. And I think one of the challenges, um, you know, with Last Mile is that it is kind of a notoriously uh, sort of unprofitable or not very profitable business. And so once, once you have a sort of your infrastructure in place to do this, the, to, you know, to do, uh, you know, on, online basic grocery delivery, um, you know, things like that, you then have to think about, okay, how are we actually going to physically do that? And I think you have a dilemma. Do you want your own vehicles? Do you use a third party? And then what is the technology in place to actually do that logistics? And so where are we in, in Canada with that right now? Well, there's um, quite a mixed picture here and uh, an increasing uh, preponderance to, to move towards Instacart because Instacart provides a variable cost base. You only pay for what you use. Uh, uh, they can deliver an on-demand service, which is very attractive to consumers. Rather, if we look at, say, Sobeys, which is uh, number two grocer compared to uh, Loblaws, they've decided to go down a strategy of having a centralised warehouse for singles picking and to have their own fleet delivering next day uh, across uh, the GTA. Uh, and they're going to expand into parts of Quebec uh, next year. Well, next day may fit the profile of certain customers, Typically, if we're going to, I wouldn't say, compete with people going to the stores, a, a, a two-hour delivery of, of your goods to your doorstep actually almost replaces a visit to the stores because, in, in fact, one might argue it's, it saves time. So some retailers are thinking that Instacart or, or Instacart's DoorDash, those kind of, uh, I wouldn't say, like, I'd call them kind of, crowdsource solutions uh, are an attractive proposition. Uh, so if we look at Costco, Walmart, Sephora, M&M, Staples, and there's probably a few others, Indigo, they're all sort of progressed down this path because it's relatively cheap to, to, to implement. It doesn't require any massive capital spending and commitment over years. It's probably just sign up a contract and, 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 and you're Instacarted. There's some interface on their website. But in fact, retailers have to hand over their customer's data. So the customer has to set up an account and order their staff. And so Instacart produce or collecting a huge amount of very interesting information for communities, for individual households, about what do they consume in their household across multiple banners. Uh, and, and that information is going to be very valuable to somebody at some stage. So that's one end of us, which is the on-demand. For the more scheduled thing, <clears throat> Sobeys is a great example of that. Once they once get their operation fully uh, scaled across the GTA and, as I say, into some parts of QC, using their own vehicle, their own facilities. So they're taking it out of the store, whereas the Instacart solution or the crowdsource solution requires the stock that's in your store to be visible to the customer when they're ordering and for the shop personal shopper effectively to go in and collect that and bring it to your door. As a consumer, I think Instacart are brilliant. As a I wouldn't say as a retailer, I'd be very cautious about 
looking at it as a, as a as some kind of permanent solution uh, because you are handing over a hell of a lot of data that is very important to your business. And when you've got Costco, Walmart, Staples, whatever on there, you, your 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 profile, your business compared to your competitors is, is very visible to those people in Instacart. And I, th- I think there's there's also an issue of the long term viability of a, of an Instacart solution because you know you have a a population of, of uh, 38 million uh, you know people in Canada who are mostly concentrated you know in in big metropolitan areas, um, but at the same time you have a lot a lot of people who are sort of in the um, you know Canada is is among the wealthier countries in the world. But a, a lot of people, you have a lot of immigrants, uh, recent immigrants, where the ability to have the, to spend more for your groceries, to have them delivered in a you know in, in Instacart, just it, you know there isn't uh, it isn't it isn't viable because if you're you know Canada has already has um, relative to the United States uh, higher food prices in general, and you add on this extra co- cost to this, uh, just the economics of it don't seem to support actually you know, growing that, scaling that business. And I wonder in the long term if a, if a Sobeys model is is more of the wave of the future. The If, if I was to go into Instacart, I, I have to pay a fee to, to get a delivery. Uh, and I also probably have to hit a certain minimum before, they, before I get access to the two-hour service. Uh, and, and then I have to see, it, it, in, in, my, in my busy schedule, is paying nine nine. Nine dollars, whatever it might be, or four dollars, or even if it's three, if it's through uh, Costco, I, I had a two-hour delivery, picked up a few items, and it was for free, and it was in two hours, and it was on a Sunday. I mean, that was outstanding. And guess what? They turned up in forty minutes. I was delighted. Uh, when you're running uh, Sobeys, I think their pricing structure is seven ninety-nine, but it is next day, so you have to plan. A, you know, you have to say order on. Uh, Monday for Tuesday delivery. Very generous number of slots at the moment, but as they scale their proposition, I think that, this, that the the delivery slots will become much more difficult to, you know, to meet your requirements and their capabilities to be in the area to deliver your your your, your shopping. The other side of this, when we talk about grocery, is we're talking about a temperature-controlled set of products. Some, some of it's freezer, some of it's on the cooler, and some of it's dry product. For a very short drive from the store to your residential address, such as Costco using the store fulfillment model, is probably okay. But as soon as Instacart said, well, do you know what? We're going to do two or three people shopping because they're all in the broadly the same area. I, I, I'll actually send my shopper in and do three lots of shopping, which would be a natural progression of scaling their own model. What happens if after the first delivery you make, there's some kind of hold up, you know, maybe the car breaks down or whatever. So suddenly those products, which in a normal normal pattern of people going out and doing their own shopping, they would just bring it home, it might be 10, 20 minutes and no problem. Suddenly that that delay is now altering the, the temperature conditions of those products. So there, there are some risks uh, around using Instacart, and if, especially if they scale on the basis of rather than going in to do individual shopping and going back and forwards, even if it is to the same neighborhood, 
they may choose to accumulate um, accumulate uh, orders to make sure that they get some kind of densities going and, and make more money. So, Gary, one of the other, I, I think, that's the disruptive things that has happened uh, because of, uh, of COVID is that you've had the, uh, the land border of U.S. and Canada uh, closed for non-essential travel. And one of the things that that has, that has basically virtually halted is this time-honored tradition of Canadians going just, uh, you know, south of the border and shopping, and they're looking for, you know, lower prices and access to things that they, they have a harder time in Canada. And that's not happening anymore. And so one of the interesting things that is happening is that you're seeing a, a bit of a, a shift where cross-border U, uh, U.S. to Canada e-commerce, it started, it's, you're seeing some growth there as these people realize, oh, we can actually get this, you know, get these goods, um, you know, for maybe not much more money than uh, had we driven down there. And so people are starting to do this. Um, what, what do you think is, are going to be the impacts of, of this kind of shift um, here in Canada? Yeah, I, I think that um, there's a couple of things going on that we don't know how much volume was already happening that way. We don't track that on the inbound side to, to Canada. Uh, so I suspect that it will be growing. We don't know how, how big it will be growing. And, and uh, you know, say where I live in, in Toronto and going across the border is a, a quite a long journey down to either around the corner to Niagara or right down to Windsor and crossing over a bridge. That's a you know, five, six-hour journey each way. So there's a, there's a time investment that's required to do that. There may be other social elements that are involved, but... The thought of being able to buy cheaper stuff, albeit it's in US dollars, I suspect, uh, the only uh, problem would be actually getting getting, getting it across the border with a normal way. And uh, uh, with the impact of COVID on, you know, border staff and the backlog of staff, it could, although the uh, American to American platform might be next day or two day i suspect that as we get out of the major conurbation parts of canada like toronto you know edmonton calgary vancouver whatever and we get into sort of the sticks it could still be a maybe a week or even longer to to expect to receive that delivery and that may actually pose a i want to say a, a difficulty of understanding oh i've just place my order amazon could get it to me tomorrow why can't you guys so it's if, if you're going to come into canada just I, I would be suggesting that you just check what the arrangements are you know you can use you know normal small package carriers like fedex ups whatever already all over here so that it, i might be imagining a problem that doesn't exist but it is worth checking the you know the service times that are involved but it's a good market and, and there's a big appetite for equal commerce here for the convenience of e-commerce uh, in Canada is high. And I think also a potential opportunity, I think, for Canadian-based fulfillment um, of, uh, of goods coming from the U.S. Uh, Gary, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Um, looking forward to meeting you one day, uh, you know, when the, when the pandemic is not going on. Thank you so much for joining us uh, uh, here at Freight Waves. Okay. Thank you. Very welcome. <laughs>